0: Let's uh, pray before we open the word. Father in heaven, ancient of days, king of kings and lord of lords, we come before you. um, Needful of your word, lord, we are hungry before you. Uh, We ask to be fed again this evening from your word for... Lord, I pray that we will be blessed, for we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness tonight. And I pray that your spirit would come in divine power and satisfy our souls uh, with the message of the gospel, with the message of um, repentance from dead works and faith towards God, with the message of salvation to all those who believe with the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that we too um, might be said with John the Baptist to have witnessed the light and borne that witness to the world so that we were those who had cried out, how long, O Lord, how long until you return? So, Lord Jesus, as we hear your word tonight, may it not fall on deaf ears. May it not remain solely in our minds as we Uh, hear it, but God, I pray that you would apply it to our hearts and our very souls, that we may leave this place and go do the works of God and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you want to open your Bibles to John 1, uh, we're going to be reading John 1, 6 through 8. Um. We're going pretty slow through this just because, as I said in the first uh, message, it's almost as if it is uh, like the Apostle John is um, trying to pack in as much meaning into these words that he can. Um, and I think it's important to remember that this is a gospel that is for us, um, but it was a gospel that was written um, at that time to both Jews and Gentiles, Um, and we know that because he was using the Greek word logos, and so he is largely using the the strongest terms, the strongest ideas he possibly can to both destroy the arguments of the Hebrews against uh, their unbelief in the coming Messiah as Jesus Lord, and destroy the philosophical reasonings of the Greeks of whether or not they could truly know God. Um, and so as we've been going through the book of John, we've been exploring, um, the evangelist's preoccupation with about speaking about the word, the logos. Uh, we've learned about the words eternality and self-sufficiency, um, as he always was and that life is in himself, um, that he depends on nothing and no one for his existence, um, The writer has taken lengths to demonstrate that the Logos is God and was with God. So we have a God who is one, but he is one and three. Um, And the Logos was the means that God used to create everything. Without him, there was nothing that was not made. Um, And in our small, little, creaturely brains, these are incomprehensible ideas. And by that, I don't mean that you can't grasp them, but that they are far and above beyond what you will ever be able to comprehend. They're meant to be that way because if you could comprehend God, He could be held in your little two pound brain. Um, and He is much, much more than that. Um, <clears throat> any genuine believer constantly returns to these attributes in their prayers and in their meditations, in their hearts and in their minds because. Uh, they're precious truths, they're practical truths, they're worshipful truths, they're the truths that um, undergird our hearts and our minds when we walk through this life that is filled with darkness because they are bright, shining, and glittering gems that remind us of the treasure we have in heaven, um, but we see through a glass darkly. But we're taking a bit of a shift in thinking. Uh, In our text today, we find the Apostle John is making a quick change of direction. Um, The text moves from the incomprehensible Logos to the very comprehensible guy, John the Baptist. Um, He may be a little incomprehensible to us because sometimes uh, weird people freak us out, but um, he's still just a man. Um, We move from a theology proper to the primary witness of that theology proper. Um, We move from the grand ideas that are vast in scope to a man who has seen them. He has seen them because they are in a person. And that person is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Apostle Apostle is doing this very purposefully. Um, There is no uh, word or turn of phrase or change in subject in the Word of God that is ever (laughs) devoid of meaning. It's why not one jot nor one tittle will pass away. This uh, sharp change in subject is meant for us to go, why? Why did he go from the Logos to John? What is the purpose of this change, and um, what are we supposed to learn from it? Um, you see, whenever we consider um, the Vast enormity of God, genuinely stretching our minds to the furthest possible reaches of our capacity and ability. There can sometimes be a temptation in our minds, and the unbelieving mind, that it is not actually possible to know God. That God is so big uh, that Plato would call him the Demiurge. And this Demiurge was unknowable, but he was the one who created all things, and he's sort of out there somewhere, but you don't know him. He's just existent, maybe. Um, it is a constant lie of Satan that even if God has come down and infallibly revealed himself to the world through the word, there is always that voice of doubt that sits in the back of our heads. Did God really say and that's why over and over again, when you read in the Valley of Vision, God, the, the Puritans were asking God to remove their atheistic thoughts, is because when we sin, we're really going, did God really say? And we are living as though we did not believe he existed. There is now, as we understand it, because we live in this life, um, a magnanimous mystery in God. And by that, I don't mean it's uh, the Sherlock Holmes type of mystery that if you uh, get enough uh, enough clues and evidence, you'll finally dig yourself to the bottom of what the answer is to this mystery. No, God is an inexhaustible mystery because of his attributes. He is incomprehensibly beyond our understanding. Now that doesn't mean that we can't know him truth. We can't in truth. We can't know him sufficiently for our salvation, but there will never be a bottom to the knowledge of God that when we get to heaven, you will never stop learning more about him to praise him forever. There is not going to be an upper limit where you go, God, we finally made it. And I know you He will go, here's another thing of how glorious I am and another thing of how wonderful I am and look at the cross of Christ and look in your life alone that I have worked and I have saved a sinner who was dead in his sins and trespasses and made him alive because of the work that I have done on the cross in the spirit of God. And that is what makes God look glorious. But we, in our small two-pound brains, could be paralyzed by the fear that because God is so vast and enormous, we can't know him. And that's when you talk to an atheist or an unbeliever on the street. It always comes out in this way. That's just your interpretation when we're reading the Bible. right? That's just your interpretation. What they're saying with that comment is you can't really know God because that's just your interpretation. And it puts the center of the knowledge of God in your mind instead of the mind of God, who can freely dispense it to those whom he pleases. But, as we know in the scriptures, as Romans 11.33 says, it is not a bad thing that God is so vast, it is a good thing that God is transcendent. Oh, the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. How can one who is so gloriously transcendent ever want to create or even be involved with this small, imperfect, sinful, and mundane world? How can a perfect God ever even interact with an imperfect world? That's a question that uh, the Apostle John doesn't even try to answer. Um, He just says he does, right? Because... uh, it's impossibly difficult to believe that God, if he is who he truly says he is, can be known by sinful man. Because we're not only creatures, we're fallen creatures. We're not only uh, finite and small and insignificant trying to grasp the infinite and the grand and the magnificent, we are sinners. And so we are running not only just in a, we're not just standing in place waiting for God to come to us and say, Lord, please come to us. We're running in the opposite direction. We're going way as far away as we possibly can. And so what has to happen in order for you to know God? And that's one of the questions that we're going to be understanding tonight, or answering tonight, but the Apostle John doesn't give us any fancy logic or um, philosophical argumentation, he just goes, John the Baptist saw him, (laughs) he did, Um, and among the sons of men there was not one greater than John the Baptist, The Apostle John is giving his readers at that time strong evidence of the validity of his claims about the Logos, not by trying to reason philosophically, but by pointing to evidence. John was a man who saw Jesus and did the works of God, and he said, that was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist was a well-known phenomenon. He was not just uh, kind of some Joe Schmo who stands on the corner in the street and preaches and everyone ignores him. John the Baptist was so well known, in fact, that he made it into the palace of kings and made the blood of kings boil. Herod the Tetrarch hated him. Not only that, the religious elite who were so stubborn and staunch in what they thought about, what they knew about God, were running to John the Baptist. And he says, Who told you to flee from the wrath of God, you vipers? The axe is laid at the root of the tree and ready to be cut down. And not only that, we need to listen to the words of Jesus when he was speaking to the crowds about John the Baptist in Matthew 11. Listen to his words. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. And yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. Jesus talks about John the Baptist like everyone already knows who this guy is. Everyone knew what was happening during this time because God had dispensed his grace in such a way to make John prepare the way for the Lord. And so the kingdom of God was coming and people were responding and it was a A vast phenomenon, what John was doing out there in the wilderness, baptizing people. John the Apostle just asserts John the Baptist into the text without much preamble because he, John the Baptist, had already demonstrated the power of God in his public ministry. He doesn't try and line out everything that he did. He baptized Jesus. The Spirit of God descended down in a dove. Uh, he, he performed miracles. He spoke the truth of God to the kings and was, was uh, brought into the palace and killed as a martyr for, for the sake of the kingdom of God. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, John was here and he saw Jesus. And he testified to the, he testified to the word of God. Um, so that if anyone is worried about whether or not, one, you can know God, or two, that Jesus is this God who you can know, the eternally divine Logos, can be witnessed and known because the evangelist goes, John the Baptist knew him, and his whole mission from life to death was that you would know him that you would see him, that you would believe upon him and be saved, and that there would not be an atom in your body remaining that had not been touched by the Spirit of God. Because Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior to all those who believe. So, and I doubt we have these people here, but this is for us who are going to go out into the world because there are going to be people who don't know God and who fear that they can't know God. And fear that maybe they're not smart enough, or wise enough, or good enough, or right enough to know God. This is for us to go out there and tell them you can know God. Um, The evangelist wants us to be able to dispel those fears immediately, right? Because John is constantly about us knowing that they touched Jesus. They saw him with their eyes. John laid on his Bosom. They handled him with their hands, the word of life, and, they want, and he wants us to believe in him. Why? So that we might have eternal life and our joy may be full. There are times where we can be sitting in the congregation of the Lord under the preaching of God's word and absolutely not believe that Jesus Christ is real, literal, and physical, that he came in a body incarnate in the flesh and died on the cross. And we can hear the words of God and they can go in one ear and out the other. And John the Baptist came as a messenger to not allow that to happen. God is not some great unknown spirit in the sky. If you remember when Paul went to the Areopagus in Acts 17.23, just to demonstrate this is the temptation of worldly wisdom, they made an altar to the unknown God. And he said that unknown God is Jesus Christ whom was crucified. John is making mention of John the Baptist for those men who are drunk on novel religious philosophy or highbrow wisdom. If a bug-eating madman who lives out in the desert can testify to the truth of who God is and be his primary witness, so can you, and so can a child, and so can a senile old man. And so can someone who doesn't have full development. God does not need your capacity to make you his. He says, you are mine, therefore it is so. That is the truth. So we don't need to fear whether or not you can know God. God can make you know him. And he does that through us. And so, don't fear if you are going out and sharing the truth of God's word about whether or not God will bless the words that you speak. If you're going out in the name of Jesus Christ and you're preaching the gospel, Jesus Christ was dead, died, buried, and resurrected, lived a perfect, righteous life, you may not be the most persuasive person in the world. You may not be the most eloquent person in the world. But despite your worst or best efforts, if you're going out genuinely in the faith of Jesus Christ, he will work mightily because his word does not come back void. And I just want to remind you, John wasn't special in himself, right? He was just a natural man, just like the rest of us. All men since Adam have been born with a sin nature besides Jesus Christ. John was no exception to that. John did not do what he did because he was born sinless or had a miraculous birth or leapt in the womb of his mother. He was one who, on his own, hated God in his heart and would have done everything in his power to run from God as a rebel. However, he was given a divine calling, one that didn't choose but was give, one that he didn't choose but was given to him by God, one that was that had required his whole life from start to to finish, if you read the word uh, came in the Greek and the word sent, um, and then the word testify in there, came mean, is a gehenomai. It means that he was generated by God, so his life was generated by God. Sent was given the mission and commission of his life. And then the last word, which is testify, is marturion, and it is a, from the Greek root, root word, which is martis, which speaks of one who dies to prove the truthfulness of a claim. And so, in this one sentence, we see the entire life of John was given to us that we might see that by his life, Jesus Christ was the true God. But it was not that calling of a mere feeling. It wasn't like John was sitting around thinking, oh, you know, I, should, I think I might, I think God's calling me to go eat bugs, you know. I think that's really what he's telling me to do. It was a comprehensive, holistic, God is calling me to do something for the kingdom of God, and I cannot help but do anything except that, because it is what he is demanding of me as my Lord, Master, and Savior. <clears throat> if you remember when we spoke in John 1-1 about why the evangelist is relating Jesus to, to the Logos, Um, and what that means for us in a redemptive historical sense, it's because the means that God chose to progress his revelation in his church throughout history was by the word of the Lord coming to the prophets, and those prophets crying out on behalf of God to the people. Who was John the Baptist? When did he first encounter the Lord? John the Baptist was cousin to Jesus. As we learned in our first sermon in the Gospel of John, we know that the Apostle of John was also a cousin of Jesus. Um, and John the Baptist was cousin to Jesus by way of Elizabeth, where he did leap in the womb at the presence of Jesus. So it was as though John, even before he was born, encountered the word of the Lord, and he was sent from his birth unto his death to preach the kingdom of God unto the people. And so we move from Logos, word of God, to John the Baptist, who is then the one who received that word and preaches that word to the people. He was a prophet in a long line of prophets who had come before him, one who had countered the word of the Lord and had his destiny shaped actively by the word, by the Logos, by Jesus Christ. And now this isn't because God looked down the corridors of time and saw that John would be the best candidate for this position. His calling is the same as his election. It was given to him, crafted by God, bestowed upon him by divine grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't look for those who are qualified. He qualifies the called. John did not choose to to be born where he was born. He didn't choose his gifts and talents. Uh, He did not choose how intimately close he would be to the Savior in his life. All these things came from the foreordained plan of God. It was the grace of God that made John the Baptist who he was and nothing else. It could, be said, it could be said that he was a man sent from God because he was a man who had the grace of God on him from birth. And let's also recall the words of our Lord when he says, but the testimony I receive is not from man but I say these things so that you might be saved, in John 5, 34. Jesus didn't need anyone to bear witness about him to prove who he was. He had the Father and the Spirit to do that. Rather, John the Baptist was given for you and I, so that we here tonight might be able to sit under the teaching of the Word and look at John the Baptist's life and his preaching and his teaching and his ministry and recognize that this gospel of the kingdom of God is also a gospel of repentance. That it is a gospel of salvation that actually changes your life. He came to make straight the path of the Lord. That means that his testimony in the scripture didn't just make straight the path of the Lord in the time of Jesus' day. It did. But his word today still prepares the hearts and minds of those who hear the word of God today in this Bible. And what does the text say about John's calling? It says that he was a witness to the light, to testify about the light, and have all believe upon his Savior. This is the call of every true and faithful Christian, and I would say it's especially the call of every true and faithful preacher of the word of God. They really only have one genuine motivation in this life, and that is to testify to the works and glory of God by their works and life. John the Baptist exemplified this. He gave up all worldly fame. He forsook family. He abandoned even common comforts to show forth the surpassing excellency of the glory of God. There are many charlatans out there who would have you believe that they have a divine calling from God upon their life because they've been blessed with riches. Others would have you believe that they have a higher calling because of some spiritual gifting. Uh, others still would have you believe their testimony because of the surplus of followers they have and the success they've had in their ministerial endeavors. May we never be deceived into thinking that any outward trappings prove the worth of a man in the service to God our King whether that's whether that's we're looking outward and we're being discerning or we're looking to our own lives and thinking god must surely be blessing me because all the things i'm wanting i'm getting oftentimes i feel like as jeremiah burrows tells us contentment comes not by addition but by subtraction john the baptist is personally i think most famously known for this phrase uh, he must increase but i must decrease he was a man whose words and works were in perfect harmony. They were in tandem with one another at all times. Since he, had to, since he believed he had to decrease, he lived a life of deprivation to signify his own sense of unworthiness before a holy God and signify the ushering in of a new kingdom, that the old kingdom, the old covenant was passing away and the new covenant in Christ's blood was coming. John the Baptist was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets. If there was any other man than Jesus Christ who were, if he were to increase, would bless the whole of mankind, it would have been John the Baptist. There's not a better one. Still, he considered himself not even worthy to undo the strap on Jesus' feet. He viewed himself as less than a slave. One... although he was the ultimate prophetic representative of the Old Testament period, one who, as it were, had all of the visions and dreams that the prophets Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel had said were going to come to pass, he saw them right before his eyes. He he pointed out, and he goes, behold, the Lamb of God. How many of the prophets would have loved to say that when they were being crushed in Babylon, when they were being persecuted? Just just Isaiah just wanting to say, God, where are you? And then he looks and he's walking. Behold, the Lamb of God. And John, the the guy out there in the wilderness eating bugs and honey, telling everybody to repent, sees Jesus walking by and goes, there he is. He's right here. Him, forget me. There's nothing about me that matters at all. I'm just a man. I'm gonna die and be buried in the ground in not but a few days' time. And this Savior, this Savior who has existed forever and has chosen to save his people, who has promised to come and is here now, he's here now, go run after him with everything that you have. And if you look at what he tells them to do, he doesn't tell them to be like him. He says to the guards who ask what they must do to be saved. Stop shaking people down and do your job right. (laughs) He tells the tax collectors, stop taking money off the top and do the wages fairly. It's not big things that change your life radically where you have to go live as a hermit. It's in the calling that God has given you, do it to the glory of God. And do it following after Jesus. Here is the funny... that happens when a genuine preacher of God's word genuinely humbles himself before the Lord, um, the Lord will often exalt that ministry of that man. Even though he's not, he's like, the true preacher of God's word will go, Lord, I will receive whatever you give me, but I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And in doing what God tells them to do in obedience, oftentimes, even if we have a bizarre ministry God will oftentimes bless that. I was listening on, a, on the radio last night about a man who wanted to start a skate ministry. And I was like, oh, man, you know, skate ministry, what's that, you know? And uh, he just said, I just went to skate parks, and I started a Bible study there. And uh, I just thought that these young men needed to hear the word of the Lord, right? And he's like, we went to the worst skate park, too. So it wasn't even like there was a lot of people there. Um, but he's like, one week went by, we had 10 people. A month went by, we had 30 people. Six months go, goes by, we have 100 skateboarders in the worst park in town at this park because God's word was being preached. And he, he said, I didn't even do anything. I just went and believed that these young men needed to hear the word of God, and the Lord blessed it. And so we don't aim at numbers. We don't aim at getting more people to hear us. We aim at preaching the word of God faithfully, and oftentimes when we genuinely humble ourselves and take time out of our days to do those things that are difficult and hard to do because they challenge our fleshly nature, God will bless those things in one way or another. John the Baptist had nothing in himself that would have drawn anybody. He was, uh, you know, I'm sure, sure we've all been in cities where we see kind of dingy people, and we think, uh, children, come over here, you know, <laughs> don't go near that strange person, you know. I don't know what's going on with him, but there's probably something. Um, it's like he's a homeless man. He's not beautiful. He had no riches. He preached the word of God faithfully and caused the hearts of his hearers to respond by the grace of God. This means that we should be humble before the Lord. Moses was the most humble man in all of Israel, and he was the one whom God chose to lead the Israelites through the wilderness. If your heart's greatest desire is to be used for the sake of the kingdom of God, to the glory of God, pursue a humble attitude with worshipful reverence towards the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James 4.10 The power of God which caused many men and women to seek John, to seek the one whose name means acceptable to God or gift of grace, wasn't in his fancy rhetoric, it wasn't in his eloquent wisdom or his talent with a musical instrument, the power wasn't in the riches that he had or the grand vision he had to start a glorious ministry for the church, it wasn't in the friends he had or the influence he had among the affluent. The power wasn't in a long trance-like music service or the common emotional manipulation of peddlers of so-called truth. The power that John possessed that made him who he was and gave him the strength to, to live ready to die for the sake of God was solely that he had witnessed the Lamb. That's all that it was. He saw God and believed upon him and testified to the truth of that. And that he believed every word written By God. He believed it to the core of his being as if there was nothing more true than this eternal word. And he went and he proclaimed it to everyone he saw. Brothers and sisters, the message that John preached is the same message that we preach. By degree, we have even more, the even more full revelation. Have you heard his words? Do you hear them tonight? if you believe, do they stir up encouragement and growth and comfort and joy and love and peace in your heart that are the fruit of the Spirit? Because God has come. And he has saved those who believe upon him. And I want to encourage you with this because earlier I quoted, uh, greater, there's not one greater than John the Baptist who has been born among men. But the last half of that phrase is, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Think about that. Is one born in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he? Brothers and sisters, you may not have a life that looks like John the Baptist, but you have a calling that is greater than his. How does that look? You know that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave Today, John died before he was able to see that. He died before he was able to see Jesus Christ risen and shining before the apostles, eating fish with them as one who has conquered death. You have the full revelation of what happened on the cross that Jesus Christ really did overcome death and sin and is able to save all those who trust in him. So, It's as if he had the light of the dawn by the morning star. And it is as if we are sitting under the noonday sun because we have the perfect word before us. So whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if your calling is to be a restaurant manager or a ranch hand, a lawyer or a mother a customer service representative, do it with the same zeal that John the Baptist had for going out into the desert and preaching the word. Do it with that same zeal for the same purpose, for the sake of the glory of God. And if your calling is, is like John's, one that is strange and peculiar unto the world, fear not what the world has to say. So it is the same for the baker, banker as it is for John the Baptist. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for uh, John the Baptist. Uh, Lord, I just am so uh, grateful that he's in heaven with you right now, worshiping uh, the Savior he saw in this life, and that uh, you used him to um, have the world believe on you, Lord. I pray that we would recognize that you can use men and women and children and... um, everybody who is always so completely insufficient Um, because lord i'm insufficient and um, i pray today and ask and believe that you can use these words to to sanctify your church and wash your bride and uh, grow us lord and so um please lord today we were hungry and i pray that um Lord, our heart has been satisfied in your word and that your gospel uh, would be applied unto the hearers today and that they would stand confident before you as righteous sons and daughters of the Most High King. Uh, Lord, we thank you and praise you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.